0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Friday, August 5th, 2022. So this is the last show for the week. I will be back on Sunday writing and recording for you guys to get you a show for Monday morning. So the first story at the top of Antiwar.com. Amnesty International says that Ukraine's fighting tactics endanger civilians. Amnesty International released a report on Thursday that said Ukraine is endangering civilians by establishing bases and launching attacks from residential areas, including schools and hospitals. The Secretary General of Amnesty said, quote, we have documented a pattern of Ukrainian forces putting civilians at risk and violating the laws of war when they operate in populated areas. Being in a defensive position does not exempt the Ukrainian military from respecting international humanitarian law. And quote. Amnesty said that most residential areas where Ukrainian soldiers were located uh, or located themselves were kilometers away from the front lines and that there were viable alternatives that would not endanger civilians. So that's interesting. So they're saying that there are other areas that the soldiers could have based themselves that wouldn't have endangered civilians. Uh, The NGO said that it found Ukrainian forces using hospitals as de facto military bases in five locations. In 22 out of the 29 schools that Amnesty visited, uh, they said they either found soldiers using the schools or evidence of current or prior military activity. Amnesty said that as a result of Ukraine's tactics, Russian strikes in populated areas have killed civilians. However, they did say that not every Russian attack followed this pattern. They've accused Moscow of war crimes in Kharkiv and said that they did not find Ukraine using civilian areas as bases uh, in some of those areas. And they also said that Ukraine's tactics do not excuse Russia's indiscriminate attacks. Uh, Ukraine reacted. Angrily to the news, their foreign minister said he was outraged. Ukrainian president, president Vladimir Zelensky accused Amnesty of, quote, helping the terrorists by publishing this report. So the Secretary General of Amnesty called on Ukraine to stop uh, basing its soldiers uh, near populated areas, said, quote, militaries should never use hospitals to engage in warfare and should only use schools or civilian homes as a last resort when there are no viable alternatives, end quote. So I haven't seen uh, a U.S. reaction to this report yet. I haven't seen any. uh, I didn't watch all the press conferences today, but I haven't seen any reporters ask, you know, what do you think about this report about this military that you're funding? Um, I'll probably drop the State Department a line if I don't see anything in the next couple of days. Um, And we also have the amnesty report, Uh, Link, to at the top of the page if you want to check it out and read through it. So the next one here, NATO Secretary Hens Stoltenberg, he says that NATO is working with the arms industry to get more weapons into Ukraine. Stoltenberg said on Thursday that the military alliance was working closely with the arms industry and said that more must be done to support Kiev For the long haul, he said, quote, we are providing a lot of support, but we need to do even more and be prepared for the long haul. Therefore, we're also now in close contact and working closely with the defense industry to produce more and to deliver more types of ammunition, weapons and capabilities, end quote. So the Western response to the war in Ukraine has been a boon for U.S. arms makers who are cashing in on replacing stockpiles of weapons sent to Ukraine They're making, they're also making direct sales to Kiev that the US government is paying for. And they're also benefiting from uh, US allies in Europe, NATO allies that are increasing military spending in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We've been seeing a lot of arms sales to countries in Europe since the invasion, since the war started. And I included in here back in July, Ukraine's defense minister, he offered Western arms makers to use Ukraine as a testing ground for new weapons. He said, quote, we are interested in testing modern systems in the fight against the enemy, and we are inviting arms manufacturers to test the new products here. And, quote, so that's pretty uh, interesting because you know what he's saying. The idea of it is, you know, we're fighting a war against Russia. You could see how your weapons do against a big power like Russia. Send us more stuff, whatever you want, um, and you know we'll we'll use it against Russia. So the next big escalation in military aid for Kiev that could come from the U.S. is sending warplanes. Um, we've seen that Ukrainian officials are asking for F-15s and F-16s and, and Air Force officials have signaled that they're pretty receptive to Ukraine's requests. This would be a serious escalation. They would be able to fly these planes um, potentially you know, deep into Russian territory. It would require months and months of training. Uh, at least three months is the best the, the estimate that I've seen for basic skills to be able to fly these planes. And it would also probably require the u.s to send contractors into ukraine to maintain these planes and that's another escalation that i've seen a lot of people predict a lot of hawks predict that they think the u.s is going to start supporting ukraine with contractors to maintain all of this advanced equipment that they're sending in okay so the next one we are back to china and nancy pelosi So China, on Thursday, they launched their largest ever military drills near Taiwan after, in response to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visiting the island. The South China Morning Post reported that China broke decades-old tacit rules that it established with Taiwan by sending ships and planes across the median line that separates the Taiwan Strait and firing missiles over the island and simulating a blockade on the island. Um, The report from the South China Morning Post described Thursday's drills as a day of firsts. So now the median line that separates the Taiwan Strait, that was drawn by the U.S. in 1955. China technically doesn't recognize Taiwan's right to the other side of the strait, but they've, for the most part, have not crossed that line with military, with warships or warplanes. We've seen them do it a couple times. They did it in July when Senator Rick Scott visited taiwan but it was just one or two just a couple fighter jets crossed it and turned back around but today we saw huge drills all around the island and the post the south china morning post is reporting that they're they were shooting missiles straight over the over taiwan that is unprecedented they've never done that before and this is all a response to Pelosi visiting. They warned that they would respond, and this is what she left behind. She left behind this mess, and Thursday was only the first day of these drills. They're supposed to last through Sunday, and they're gonna they're just drilling in these closed-off areas, simulating this blockade. According to Xinhua, the Chinese news agency, over 10 destroyers and frigates from the People's Liberation Army's Eastern Theater Command conducted joint blockade operations. China also reportedly deployed an aircraft carrier and one nuclear submarine. So here, uh, the U.S. responded to the drills. They canceled a planned test of an intercontinental ballistic missile to reduce tensions, is what they said, is why they canceled it, which that that sounds good to me. Uh, But they also ordered the aircraft carrier... USS Ronald Reagan to stay near Taiwan and monitor the area. So we still have that aircraft carrier floating around east of Taiwan, and that means that there's probably a lot of U.S. surveillance planes. Uh, We'll probably see in the next few days from some of the people that track the U.S. military activity in the region. We're probably going to see, you know, where the U.S., These surveillance planes are, if they're they're kind of poking around, how close they get to China, Chinese forces that are drilling around Taiwan, south of Taiwan, east, west, north, just all around the island. And it's all thanks to Nancy Pelosi. Okay, the next one here, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations issued a joint statement urging the U.S. and China to ease tensions around Taiwan after Pelosi's trip to the island sparked these drills. So the ASEAN, as it's called, uh, it's a 10-nation group. It consists of Brunei, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, the Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. One thing these countries all have in common right now is that they're kind of stuck in the middle between the U.S. and China. The U.S. has been trying to get these countries on their side against China, and they're all hesitant to... Most of them are hesitant, really, to pick a side. A few of them are warming up more to China because China is the regional power, including Cambodia. The U.S. um, is not happy with Cambodia because China is building at one of its ports, and they're accusing... China and Cambodia secretly building a military base, which they both deny. The U.S. has sanctioned Cambodia over this construction at this port, and that actually, after the U.S. sanctioned them and they placed an arms embargo on Cambodia, Cambodia and China went ahead and signed a, a security pact, which just to increase, I think, law enforcement cooperation. I think it's similar to the one that China signed with the Solomon Islands. But You kind of see how the U.S. pressure just backfires and just drew Cambodia closer to China. Um, So anyway, the ASEAN nations, they released this joint statement, which is kind of rare for them to release a statement on an issue like this. Um, They said that they're calling for, quote, maximum restraint, Uh, refrain from provocative action and for upholding the principles enshrined in the United Nations Charter and the Treaty of Amenity and Cooperation in Southeast Asia, end quote. They said, quote, we should act together and we stand ready to play a constructive role in facilitating peaceful dialogue between all parties, including through utilizing ASEAN-led mechanisms to de-escalate tensions to safeguard peace security and development in our region, end quote. So they are currently, this Southeast Asian nation bloc is currently hosting events in Cambodia that are being attended by U.S. and Chinese officials. But Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, uh, he said that he had no plans to meet with Antony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, who's also in Cambodia for these talks. And we also saw the U.S. say that um, they don't plan on holding talks with Chinese officials, so that's what it is now. I mean, this trip has really sunk U.S.-China relations to a new low, and they were they were already at their lowest point in decades since the U.S. formally opened up with China in 1979. And now they're even lower, and we see these huge drills. And it really does call into question like, what the U.S. could do if China really went for Taiwan, and if they started it with something like this, like a blockade around the island. Um, the U.S. would be fighting a naval battle so far away from any major military bases that it has. You wonder how long, how sustainable that is. And these these countries, these Southeast Asian countries, they're going to be the ones dealing with the consequences. The U.S. allies in the region, um, you know, who knows what could, what could come of a war in the region for these other countries. What, what they could get caught in the middle of. So now this is pretty big. This article here, Senator Bob Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey, the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He called for a major increase in U.S. support for Taiwan that would overhaul U.S. policy toward the island in an op-ed for the New York Times. So Menendez and Lindsey Graham, they recently introduced the Taiwan Policy Act of 2022. This bill... Um, would designate Taiwan as a major non-NATO ally. It would authorize $4.5 billion in military aid for the island over four years, and it would require economic sanctions in response to a Chinese attack. Menendez said the legislation would, quote, be the most comprehensive restructuring of U.S. policy toward Taiwan since the Taiwan Relations Act of 1979, end quote. So this is a very significant bill, and I wrote about it when they first introduced it in back in June. And I kind of wrote it off because I've seen a lot of hawks introduce similar stuff to give Taiwan billions in military aid. But then I realized this week when I saw that Menendez was trying to debate this on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, like, oh yeah, Bob Menendez is very influential. He's not just some fringe hawk like Tom Cotton. Or something. Uh, this is pretty significant, and it signals the direction that we're going, and it's not a good direction. So, in this Abed, he said that the U.S. can't may, make the same mistake with Taiwan that it did with Ukraine. He argued that the U.S. didn't support Kiev enough to prevent a Russian invasion, even though it's clear that U.S. meddling in Ukraine was one of Putin's main motivations for invading. Um, you know, the U.S being involved in the 2014 coup that over that ousted Viktor Yanukovych, the former Ukrainian president that sparked the war in the Eastern Donbass region that sparked Russia taking Crimea sparked unrest across the country. Um, and that's, what's led to where we are today. So, and all the military aid after that, when the U S started sending Ukraine weapons to fight a war in the Donbass, to fight a war on Russia's border. Um, so US intervention played a huge role in this war so Menendez is saying oh we didn't do enough, you hear this a lot from Hawks, they say it all the time with Syria they funded that proxy war and destabilized the country and then bombed the hell out of it to to, uh, in the bombing campaign against ISIS that killed thousands and thousands of civilians and they say they didn't do enough and this is kind of a similar talking point so As we see these steps being taken, really, it's just making war in Taiwan more likely, which is clear. It's not just my opinion. It's what China has said over and over again. Um, It's going to provoke something, whether an attack on maybe some of Taiwan's, the islands, smaller islands they control. Something's going to happen if we keep going down this road and it looks like we are. So the next one, there's an article from the South China Morning Post about China's sanctions on Taiwan. South China Morning Post, I mentioned before, if you want to follow news in, you know about China and Taiwan and Hong Kong, and it's just a really good uh, resource. So the U.S., Iran, they, they return to nuclear talks at the behest of the EU. So they're back in Vienna. Um, the U.S. has said that it, that it um, won't lose anything by returning to these talks. Iran is saying you know, that they want to make a deal, but so far we haven't really seen any progress. We just know that they're back. They're in uh, Vienna and that they both kind of agree that a breakthrough is unlikely, even though we see Iran has more of a positive attitude than the U.S., Doesn't seem like there's really much hope. The EU is really trying to salvage that deal, it looks like. And then the last one here the Taliban is investigating the US claim that they killed Al Qaeda leader Ayman al Zawahiri. So the Taliban announced Thursday that it was launching an investigation. And they also denied that they had any knowledge that Zawahiri was in Kabul, which is where a CIA drone strike. Hit over the weekend. President Biden announced on Monday that the strike killed Zawahiri. So Taliban spokesman Zabula Mujahid uh, he said, "Quote: The leadership of the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan has instructed the investigative and intelligence agencies to conduct a comprehensive and serious investigation into the various aspects of the incident." End quote. So the Islamic Emrat is the um, the uh, formal name of the Taliban-led government in Kabul that took over when the U.S. left. Um, the U.S. has said that the presence of Zawahiri in Kabul violated the Doha Agreement, which paved the way for the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Under the agreement, the Taliban pledged not to allow al-Qaeda or other terrorist groups to gain a foothold and use as- Afghanistan as a platform to launch attacks. The Taliban said on Thursday that it, um, Afghanistan is not a threat to any country. They're denying that they had knowledge of Zawahiri being there. They haven't confirmed that the U.S. killed Zawahiri in the strike. They have Their account of the strike is similar to the U.S. as they said it was on a residence in Kabul. They haven't said anything about civilians being killed, but they haven't said that Zawahiri was killed. So it'll just be interesting to see what the Taliban has to say about this. So we know the White House said Tuesday that they have no DNA confirmation that it was Zawahiri who was killed in the strike. White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby insisted that the U.S. had visual and other types of confirmation that he was killed. So it's really just the U.S.'s word. I'm not saying that they're just making it up, but I'll let you guys speculate on this one. Um, The Taliban, though, they definitely have an interest in... Denying that it was Zawahiri, although at the same time, they don't really have a reason to kind of appease the U.S. Although they have been in talks with the U.S. to release the billions in central bank funds that the U.S. seized after the the old U.S.-backed government collapsed. The U.S. seized billions in central bank assets. They maintain sanctions on the Taliban, and this is all while Afghanistan is, is facing this dire economic crisis and food shortages people are starving to death and the u.s is just keeping all these sanctions in place just making the suffering much much worse okay so that's the last one for today i also have a viewpoint on the page an opinion piece and it's more nancy pelosi i know i said the other day that i'm sick and tired of talking about her but it just kind of came to me today so i wrote something up it's called the mess that pelosi made it's a little homage to Robert Parry of Consortium News. He's a late the late uh, journalist who started Consortium News. He wrote an article in 2015 titled The Mess That Newland Made, and it's about Victoria Newland's role in the 2014 coup in Ukraine and the aftermath that followed over the next year. And that line, the mess that Newland made, was just swirling around my head when Russia invaded ukraine back in february because it was just a consequence of this mess that the u.s made but just you know newland was such a key factor in it and it's her legacy and i kind of compare it to what pelosi did in taiwan i really feel like this was a turning point the same way the 2014 coup was a turning point maybe not as significant of an event but i really think we're entering a different a new era with china and taiwan and it's Pelosi's mess. <laughs> um, but that's it for today. I will be back after the weekend. I hope everybody is enjoying the show. You could contact me, news at antiwar.com, or you could DM me on Twitter. Um, let's see, what else? If you want to support the show, antiwar.com slash donate. We're going to be getting some new merch soon, t-shirts and hats and stuff, so I'm pretty excited about that. That'll be a good way to support us, and you can get some cool antiwar.com gear Um, so i'll keep everybody posted on that and that's it i hope everybody has a good weekend and i will see you in a couple days thank you